Okay, tonight, uh, friends, I, I really uh, want to talk to you about what we might call a forgotten essential of the Christian faith. Um, a forgotten essential of the Christian faith. I want to talk to you about what we call sanctification. Uh, or to put it another way, tonight, uh, from God's words, I must remind you of the life that you are called to lead, the life pursuing holiness that you are called to lead as a child of God. So sanctification or holiness for the Christian this evening. Now, first thing established is that this is an essential subject. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us without holiness, no one will see God. That though we are not, now let's get this right, we are not pursuing holiness as Christians to try and merit or to try to attain or achieve our salvation, that this pursuit of purity, it is something that throughout Scripture, what happens? Something that God calls for, it's something that God demands from us, from his people. So, it's essential. But what was the other thing I said? Is it not also the case that it is a forgotten essential of the Christian faith? Let's pretend that we were to go back tonight a few centuries into Puritan England. Let's say we were to go into any God-fearing church of the time. Get this, I mean, the chances are that the sermon we would hear in that Puritan church would be about this very subject. About the need for you and I as Christians to, to strive after righteousness and godliness. That would be the theme. That was the theme of the Puritans. But isn't it true that it's changed somewhat for the modern church? Isn't it true that we actually rarely hear sermons about the need for Christians to strive after godliness and holiness? Here's an example of that. This week, uh, I went on to one of the world's foremost sermon websites. Not to plagiarize or anything like that, uh, but just out of curiosity. And it was a sermon website where you can search by theme of sermon. And you could search for the theme of drugs or anxiety. You could even search for sermons on womanhood if you wanted to. But I was struck, shocked by the fact that there was not even a category for sanctification. There was not even a category on this website for holiness. It's an essential scripture, but it is a forgotten essential. So, this evening, let's not make that mistake. Let's not continue in that vein. In these verses that we've read, in fact, in the second half of the verses, from 11 to 16, the verses that we're looking at, what is it that Paul speaks about? He speaks about personal holiness. So this evening, let us not ignore what it is that God has saying to us in his word. So, I would invite you to please... Uh, Turn to me in your Bibles and to have this portion of Scripture open. So it's First Timothy chapter 6. There's not the whole section that we read. As we continue in this series, it's from verse 11 to verse 16. It is that section there 
Do you see it? The NIV entitles it, Paul's Charge to Timothy. And the first thing that we should perhaps notice is the activity of sanctification. The activity of sanctification. Okay, I hope you see what's going on in this portion of Scripture that you've got there in front of you. Having just spoken out against materialism and against, remember what it was last time we were in First Timothy, spoken out against a love of money, what does Paul do here? He now turns his attention from those people and he turns his attention to his beloved Timothy and he addresses Timothy. Now, now what he does after telling Timothy to flee that sort of greed and materialism, is here Paul sets out before Timothy three activities to which Timothy should engage as a Christian. So what are those? (laughs) What are these three activities of sanctification that we've got here? Well, let's look at it. The first one we've got here, the first thing that we learn is that the Christian life involves a chase a chase. What does that mean? Well, do this with me. If you look at verse 11 uh, of this section, you'll see a list of virtues. Do you see them there in front of you in verse 11? A list, there is a list of, I think it's, well, I know it is six <laughs> characteristics. I just, don't just pass over the list. It's a list of six characteristics that should mark your life as a Christian. Now, what it is that I want you to notice is that the list works in the same way as the previous list in Timothy. So it's a list of virtues that work in pairs. Now, have a look. Do you see how it works in pairs? What's the first two? You've got righteousness and godliness. Do you see how that's a pair? Righteousness here, it means an uprightness before other people in the way that we live. And what's godliness? It is an uprightness in how we are before God. So you see that it's a pair. Then look at the next two. What have you got? You've got faith and love. Do you see that that's a similar thing? Faith. What's that? It's a trusting in God. But what does Paul mean by love here? It's, it's a compassion for other people. So again, it's a pair. Ah. But look at the last two. What have you got here? endurance and gentleness. Do you see what it is that what Paul is calling for from Timothy? Do you hear what it is that God is calling for from us? It is for Christians to be patient in all circumstances of life. Endurance. But also for Christians to be patient with all even difficult types of people. Gentleness. Are you with me? This is... This is some list of virtues, isn't it? But actually, what I think the most important thing we notice is how it begins. Do you see the verb that precedes the list? Do you see what it is? What does Paul say? He says to Timothy, pursue these things. So, so do you see what it is that God is saying to us? I think we've almost got to think Tommy Lee Jones in uh, The Fugitive. Or something like that. Do you hear what God is saying? He says to us tonight, we can't just sit back as Christians in our lives and hope that we will somehow kind of develop 
these sort of virtues and characteristics. Like we're not to sort of sit back, relax, and just assume that somehow, even though there's no effort in our behalf, that the Holy Spirit will pour out these on us. What's he saying? Pursue these things. Chase after these virtues in our lives. Do you see it? That we are supposed to stalk gentleness. That we're supposed to strive after, hunt after love. We're supposed to track down godliness and not give up until it is ours. You see, don't you? The Christian life, it involves a chase. Another thing we learn, though, is that the Christian life involves a struggle. Would you do this with me? Would you look at verse 12? And I think as you do that, perhaps you see what is a familiar expression. So, looking around this evening, and most of you have been present uh, at LCPC through the duration of this sermon series. It's probably true for most of us here. Uh, some have even listened on, on, online. So hopefully, when you hear this expression in verse 12, it rings a bell. Do you hear it? Fight the good fight of faith. Does that sound familiar to you? In fact, isn't it the case that actually we should thoroughly appreciate the structural genius of the Apostle Paul? Because do you see what he's doing? He's beginning and ending this letter in the very same way. He's employing the same imagery, the sim- similar phrase in chapter 1 and now in chapter 6 as he closes this letter. Now, okay, okay, the, the language, the imagery is the same. Fight the good fight of faith. But I hope you see, especially if you've been through this sermon series, that actually what Paul means here is very different. Cast your mind back to chapter 1, when Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, wage the good war of faith. What was he talking about? Do you remember? He was telling Timothy to fight against false teaching. Do you remember? To fight against error in the church. Now, that is not what he's saying here, is it? Think about the context of sanctification. Who is he telling Timothy to fight against here? He's telling him to fight against himself. To fight against his own indwelling sin. And so because of that, let me say this to you tonight. It might sound strange, but bear with me. See, when it comes to our sin, aren't we a little bit too much like the French? What was it that very famous philosopher, uh, Homer Simpson, uh, said about the French? What did he say about the French? He said, called the French, what was it, cheese-eating surrender monkeys, didn't he? Now, that's most unfair, I think. But isn't it true that when it comes to our sin, that is what we are like? Like, yes, occasionally we'll maybe put up a little bit of a fight, Yes, occasionally we'll maybe struggle against temptation, but is it not the case for you and for me that all too often when it comes to sin, we're too quick to lay down our arms, to raise the white flag, and to surrender, to to, to give in to temptation, right? And you hear what God is saying to you? He says to us as we go into this next week, what? No. Fight. Fight this week your sin. Fight 
the good fight of faith. And then I think we, we also learn here that the Christian life involves an embrace. An embrace. Now we've looked at verse 12. Look again at the middle of the verse. Verse 12. And you will perhaps see, I think, one of the great blessings um, of our salvation. Do you see what Paul speaks of? He speaks of eternal life. <laughs> he speaks of the eternal life to which we are called. Why is he speaking? Now think about the context of sanctification. Why is he speaking about eternal life to Timothy? Like, do you think it is just to sort of point him forward to the return of Christ in his heavenly home? Do you think that's what it is? Well, maybe he will go on to do that. But I don't think that's what this is here. See, look at the imperative in, in verse 12 that he attaches to it, please. What does he say about the eternal life? He says, take hold of it. He says, embrace the eternal life to which you are called. Now, that does it not sound like a present rather than a future aspect of salvation? Do you see what he's saying to Timothy? He's saying, friend, fight your sin. Fight it. And lay hold of this glorious fellowship you can have in this life with Jesus Christ. Mortify your sin. Fight your sin. Kill your sin. And enjoy, embrace this life that you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ just now. Now I ask you this. What do you think of these activities? What do you think about this grand call for holiness from the Apostle Paul? Like, does it tonight intimidate you? Let me say two things to you then in application. One, you're going to fail at this. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that. That even as the people of God indwelt by the very Holy Spirit of God, such is the grip that sin has on your life, that this week, in many ways, we are going to fail. We're not going to achieve perfect holiness this week. But second thing, know this. and I mean, hear this. In every single instance this week, and no matter how small and insignificant it is, in every single instance where you fight your temptation and you say no to sin, in every instance where you obey God, what happens? What happens? You bring great pleasure to our triune God. I mean, is that not motivation to enter into sanctification, to fight our sin. Do you see? It delights our God when his people, even in the small things, we see no temptation. It delights him when we seek to mortify our sin. The second thing that we see here is the end of sanctification. We've seen the activity and some of the things that this week we should engage in. We see now the end of sanctification. Now, as many of you know, eh, very recently, a couple of weeks ago, I took my son Colin on his very first eh, plane trip. Very first time for a six-year-old boy to be on a plane. And we took this little journey across eh, to France. 
And I thought, you know, in my naivety, I thought, it's not going to be a big deal. That'll be no problem at all. And then I neared the, got into the airport and realized that I had in no way prepared him adequately for the whole airport security thing. And there was us standing in the queue for, uh, for security. So I said to Colin, you know, see these, these guys, these serious looking guys, you have to obey what they say to you. There is no messing about just now or this could end badly for us both. But he was distracted and we sort of carried on a bit. <coughs> and I wanted him to appreciate the gravity of the situation. I wanted to get on holiday. Uh, so what I did was what I would do, obviously, what we always do for little children. I turned him around and I repeated myself. And very solemnly did I say to him, okay, you must obey these people. Do you see it? I wanted him to appreciate the importance, so I reiterated what I had to say. I wanted him to appreciate the sheer gravity of the situation. Now, is that not what happens in this portion of Scripture? Like, do you see it? Yes, Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's told him what he wants to tell him. He has told him about the importance of holiness. But here's the thing, just like myself and my son... Paul here is desperate for Timothy to understand the importance and the weight and the gravity of personal holiness. So what does he do? He repeats himself. And in fact, if you look at it, look at verse 13. It's so serious, this. Like, it's almost like he formally charges Timothy with godliness. Now, consider what he says. He says, in the sight of God, in the sight of Christ Jesus, Timothy, I charge you with holiness. I charge you to keep this command. Now, I ask you this, what does he mean there? I charge you to keep this command. What does he mean by this command. Well, I suppose it could be that this formal charge is just confined to what he's just said, you know, about pursuing righteousness and godliness. It could be that. This command, though, it could be a bit wider than this, could it not? Now, think about where it sits. It sits at the very end of this letter. It could be Paul solemnly charging Timothy to keep this letter Timothy, keep everything that I've said to you in these six chapters. Keep this command. Could be that. But I actually think what we've got here is even wider than that. I think what we're faced with here is an all-encompassing, comprehensive call for holiness from Paul. I think what he's doing here is what he does elsewhere in Scripture. And he's referring to the Christian faith as a command. Do you see it? Saul charging Timothy to keep his eyes fixed in Christ, but also to live in all things and everything for the glory and the honor of Jesus' name. Now, you hear me? What Paul is delivering there to Timothy, I firmly believe that the Lord God is delivering to you tonight. Do you see what I mean? That tonight this is not... See the sermon, this portion of Scripture? 
This is not God just giving you a little nudge and subtly reminding you, oh, try a little bit harder, you know. Don't you see this is solemn? Don't you see that this is a, a, a almost a formal charge before you and me from Almighty God tonight to pursue in all things righteousness, to pursue in everything Christ-likeness? Now, how do we how do we deal with that? Isn't it, honestly, is it not almost frightening sometimes to see the priority that God places on the holiness of his people? How do we deal with this? I think what we must do is notice the time reference that Paul makes. Do you see what he says here? Look at it. He says this in uh, verse 14. I charge you with holiness. I charge you to keep this this command until when? Until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, I wonder, do you see why that reference to the second coming, it should encourage us and motivate us in our sanctification? Do you see why? Because it means and it shows us that one day, This battle that you have against temptation and the battle you have with your sin, one day, it will all come to an end. And surely that encourages you. And surely that that motivates you and I. That, That one day the Lord Jesus Christ will appear in the clouds. He will return to earth. We shall see him. He will usher us by his perfect holiness into glory. And what's going to be true for you and for me? Sin, our sin, will be no more. No more of this sometimes exhausting fight that we've got with our immorality. It's gone. No more of this battling against the flesh, battling against evil. One day when Christ Jesus returns, all of that will come to a close. So isn't that motivation? Because yes, tonight God, Almighty God, charges us, charges you as a Christian with godliness. But there's an end in sight. There is an end to our sanctification and then we'll end the third thing we've seen the activity of sanctification we've seen the end of sanctification and then lastly we see the god of sanctification (coughs) ian mcdonald of ian and bethan fame every two weeks uh, in advance of Uh, the meeting of the Central House Group of uh, London City Presbyterian Church, Ian sends out an email to all the people that might be in attendance. And along with necessary instructions and directions, right at the foot of this email, some of you have had this email, so you know what I'm going to say, there are a list of questions that Ian gives Questions for those who are going to be in attendance. Questions for those who are going to be studying Scripture. Questions about how to approach the text. Questions like, what does the text mean for us? We're going to be studying Scripture tonight, the house group. 
What does the text mean? What does the text tell us for how to relate to each other or how to relate to the outside world? Questions, good questions. Now, with that in mind, I think there is one great and important question that we should also have in our minds when we come to Scripture. The great question. What does this portion of Scripture have to teach us about God? And I would encourage you to do that this week. I was going to say this to you this morning. I'll say it now. Read the book of Esther. In advance of our sermon series, in the midst of our sermon series, read it and ask that question. What does this story, what does this book tell us, teach us about Almighty God? Great question to ask. Well, as Paul ends this section, this very personal exhortation to Timothy, do you see what happens here? I love it. Because what Paul does is he bursts into song. Do you see that? He breaks into this wonderful doxology, this song of praise here. And in that doxology, you and I are shown and reminded great truths about the God that we worship. So I want to close just by noting them. Do you see what we're told about God? We are reminded of the invincibility of God. Would you look at verse 15? Have a look at verse 15. There Paul calls God, I love that word, the only ruler. He is the, what is it, king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you see the truth of that, friends? Our covenant God, he is the only transcendent power in the whole universe. That's we saw this morning, that he is king over what? All earthly power and authority. That our God is Lord over what? He is Lord over all these false religions and all these false claims that deity and divinity. He is our invincible God. To that glorious truth, Paul adds another. Do you see? Verse 16, he sings, he sings of the immortality of God. But I do want to ask you this. Do you think Paul is wrong in what he says? Look at what he says. He says, God alone is immortal. Is he wrong? I remember preparing for Mary Cordelia's baptism. A few months ago. And I remember being again blown away by the gift and reality of human life. And this fact. That at the point of conception. Every single child. Is given by God. An everlasting soul. Some destined to everlasting death. Some though. Destined to everlasting life. Isn't, isn't it marvelous? So is God wrong? Sorry, is Paul wrong? When he says, ah, but God alone is immortal. Well, no, you see what he's saying, don't you? Yes, you know, we have eternal life. That is true. But do you see what he's saying? God alone has that immortality in and of himself. Like you... Me, we owe our 
ongoing existence to this God of power and authority and this God of eternity. And if this, if this is not enough to bring your heart to praise, Paul adds that third and final one here. He praises to the invisibility of God. You see it? He praises God as he who lives, as Gabriel prayed earlier on, as he who lives in unapproachable light, the one that no one has seen. Don't you love the song? Let me close with this. I wonder if you see that the the song is not a random song. It's not. Do you see tonight that the song is integrally connected to what has just gone before? Because what is it that Paul has just spoken of? He has just spoken of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this song, isn't it that where Paul's heart is? Isn't it that that's in Paul's mind? You see, what is it that Paul knows will happen on that day when Christ returns? What does he know will happen for us, for you and I? Who shall we see that day? We shall see with our own eyes this formerly invisible God. That we will see this God of spirit now in Christ Jesus manifest in the flesh. Our eyes will see him. And what shall he do? By his unique power, he will usher you and I into this experience, this glorious experience of this eternal life. Isn't it marvelous? Paul is not here just praising and singing of God's grace. He's praising and singing of the greatness of God's plan of salvation for you and for me. So I end like this to send you out into the world. Are you tonight struggling in your fight against sin? Is that where you are tonight? Weighed down by the problems and the temptations of the flesh? See in the song where your heart needs to be. We need to consider once again and meditate upon this great, great God. This God of immortality and power and might. And you and I, this week, we need to keep in view what God has in store for his people. That just now he is equipping us He granted us his Holy Spirit for this fight. He has equipped us, but what is going to happen? One day soon, we shall see him. Isn't that something? You and I, the people of God, we will see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Friend, allow that, allow God and his salvation to be the focus this week as you go out there, as you go into the world and do what? What are we going to do this week? Let us fight the good fight of the faith. Let's fight our sin. Let's pray.